Old Vines Written by Sevdrak and read by Literarian Chapter 14 It Begins at the Mouth Part 2 There are mornings where Aziraphale wakes slowly, gathers his thoughts, and spends at least an hour coming to terms with the day over a cup of tea and breakfast. Some scrumptious pastry that Madame Tracy has left, perhaps, or one of Warlock's increasingly successful egg experiments. And then there are mornings where he lurches out of bed, shaves, attempts to calm his nest of curls, and puts on his best jacket to sit in front of the video camera and speak with Gabriel. Gabriel is a morning person, and Aziraphale decidedly is not, so they've compromised. By that, Aziraphale means the calls are on Gabriel's timetable, and he has learned to deal with it. Good morning, Aziraphale! Gabriel's always so chipper. Aziraphale tries to be somewhat cheerful back, since that seems to be what Gabriel likes, and he likes keeping Gabriel in a good mood for these chats. Good morning, Gabriel, Aziraphale replies. Warlock is in the background, as usual, making up tea and toast for him to have breakfast while Gabriel pontificates on the screen. How are things out in L.A.? Oh, the usual. <laughs> Gabriel chuckles. We had a bit of a heat wave here. Almost rolled my sleeves up. This gets another laugh, and Aziraphale smiles, somewhat painfully. How is the weather up there? The same, Aziraphale tells him. I've been informed that summer here gets even hotter. I'm not quite looking forward to it. Oh, I'm sure most big places have air conditioning. Gabriel waves a hand in the air. You'll be fine. Off drinking and writing in the cool summer evenings, right? Oh, ha <laughs> ha. laughs nervously. Yes, yes, of course. He wishes he got along better with Gabriel. It isn't like they don't get along, per se, but he never knows what to say when Gabriel starts his awkward comments and ridiculous jokes. He'd much rather have a boss he could joke with, someone he could relate to, but Gabriel is what he has. Aziraphale just wishes he understood Gabriel better. Sometimes he isn't really sure what Gabriel's asking him to do until Warlock explains it. So, how's the book proceeding? Oh, wonderful! Aziraphale makes himself smile large. It isn't a lie... He certainly put out a number of excellent words in the last week or two. 
He's well aware that much of it isn't what Gabriel wants to see, but that isn't what Gabriel asked, is it? He's well aware that the document has been catching many of his unrelated thoughts as well, but that's what editing is for. I've moved on to the first chapter, trying to explain wine tasting to people, like you suggested. Good. Gabriel folds his hands in front of him and gives Aziraphale the kind of smile he has where Aziraphale continues to wonder whether it's genuine or fake. I'm glad you're taking my recommendations. The project will be stronger for it. You know we want a good, strong book. Ha <laughs> yes, Aziraphale says, chuckling weakly. I'm also writing more like my blog. I think it's really helping. This is, well, closer to a lie, but it's mostly true. There are sections he tries to write in the happy, friendly tone of his blog, and maybe they aren't really a substantial portion of his words, but he is trying. It isn't like Aziraphale knows what kind of book will be successful in his market. That's Gabriel's job. He has no idea how to write a bestseller. He's discovered, over the last month and change, that he's going to have to work to be able to meet Gabriel's expectations. The words he's making... The words he's making are different. They're more raw, more random, purer maybe, and he knows how to write that. Or maybe he doesn't. It seems like he sits down and the words pour from him like water from behind a dam. It isn't like anything Aziraphale has ever written in his life. But none of this is untrue, really. Well, we ran your numbers this week, Gabriel tells him, changing topic immediately. We need you to dig a little deeper into the process, I think. What about that winery you keep writing about here and there? Do you think they'd let you behind the curtains? Aziraphale brightens up. Are they liking the posts about how wine is made? I'm so glad I'm having so much fun learning. Ah. Gabriel hums at him and turns over to his monitor, scrolling through something. Numbers on those are lower, but comments are higher. Comments represent engagement, but we like to get views up for ads, so Michael would like you to try a couple articles about the process and we'll see how they perform. Oh, but this pleases Aziraphale greatly. He wiggles, straightening his shoulders and smiling at Gabriel genuinely. Excellent. I'm so happy to hear that. I'll be able to get some good pictures, I expect. Haha, <laughs> maybe more than one with your face in it. Gabriel's laugh seems... not forced, deliberate, maybe. 
We want people to know you, Aziraphale. I know, he says. He isn't going to get into it now. He's pleased, and Aziraphale is determined to make that feeling last. Well, I'll send you your demographics report in a bit. Gabriel straightens in his seat and plasters on that smile of his. Thanks for the check-in. Send me some of those good words. It'll cheer me up. They murmur at each other and hang up quickly after that. Aziraphale leans back in his chair, feeling a bit chuffed. Well then, he tells Warlock. That wasn't so bad, was it? Warlock's frantically typing notes into his own tablet, which is normally a bad sign. Now Aziraphale's curious, but he manages to flash a grin at Aziraphale. You should feel good about it, Warlock says, and Aziraphale feels satisfied. Warlock makes him another tea after. So be honest this time, he says. How are you really feeling about what's going on? Aziraphale is still pleasantly satisfied, so he beams at Warlock. I mean, I'm not entirely confident yet, but I'm learning. My writing has been all over the place, but I think I can sort of... Rain it in to match what Gabriel's looking for. Sarah, Warlock sighs into his dark coffee. Can you please drop the bullshit factor? I know you pull this crap on over your face when you talk to Gabriel, but you don't have to do it to me. Aziraphale takes a moment to sip at his tea and think. Warlock isn't... he means, really, there isn't... Well, Warlock isn't entirely right. Aziraphale isn't false-facing when he comes to these calls. He simply... people have layers, right? Facets. He's simply showing Gabriel the one he thinks will satisfy the best. And yet... Warlock's different. Aziraphale doesn't have to choose one angle and omit all others. He can tell Warlock nearly anything. Look, Aziraphale sighs into his tea. I've been writing something different lately. I absolutely know it isn't all for the book, it's very much stream-of-consciousness writing, you know, and I'm not lying when I say a good bit of it is in fact rubbish. But the rest of it is... Well, with some editing, it would be a very different style of book than the rest of my blog. Warlock drinks coffee, checks on his mobile, thinks. Do you think that's the kind of book you want to write? 
Aziraphale makes some kind of wincing motion with his lips. The book I want to write is the one that makes Gabriel and FDA happy. You know that. Warlock purses his lips in response. You know, that isn't what I asked you as. Aziraphale shrugs. I mean, I'm not sure I have a more detailed response. That's what I'm here for, isn't it? Warlock looks at him for a long moment and then sighs into his mug. <sighs> Just remember, as I'm here to get you what you want, you know? It turns out that the blues band that plays at the Tan One is quite good. Crowley and Aziraphale have been seated at a table along the wall and both are sitting on the wall's bench seat in order to see the band. Aziraphale's picked the wines this time. The wine list here is extensive and they have a few of his favourites from France, so he's taken the reins for their second round and Crowley's ordered him this appetizer with fried pita bread and a goat cheese marinara dip that's absolutely scrumptious. Aziraphale is sitting forward on the bench as he picks away at the food. Crowley has sprawled back into the wall, legs crossed lazily at the ankles, and both arms outstretched along the back of the bench. Aziraphale's hyper-aware of that arm behind him and the knowledge that, were he to lean back, Crowley's arm would be around his shoulders. His spine is prickling with that knowledge, nerves tingling at the back of his neck. He isn't going to make assumptions. Crowley's like that, sprawling everywhere, limbs akimbo. It might just be the most comfortable way to sit at the moment. But Aziraphale's skin is alight with the potential. It's probably because of the way he let his imagination run rampant a week or so ago, allowing himself to consider Crowley in a very different way than usual. His silly, fanciful brain highlighting the smallest things. Aziraphale has another bite, taking a moment to revel in the richness of the cheese, the slight heat to the marinara, the crunch of the toasted pita, and tries not to dwell. He's had Warlock's voice in his head all day, and he doesn't much like it. Of of course the boy's here to get him what he wants. That's Warlock's job. But doesn't Aziraphale already have so much of what he wants? A once-in-a-lifetime chance here, all expenses paid, all kinds of resources available. He glances over at Crowley. He's a business owner. He must understand how it is. How even a dream job can't always be a dream. 
compromises have to be made. That's the way business works. It isn't like Aziraphale expected to be able to write just any old thing on the strap. He knows it has to be a book that will sell, one that will appeal to a certain... Oh, but he hates the word... demographic. None of this is news. The band pauses for a 20-minute intermission, and Aziraphale picks up his glass of wine and turns his body towards Crowley. It puts him closer to the arm resting along the back of the bench. Aziraphale feels like half of his awareness is just thinking about that gesture. The way Crowley could pull him in, rest his hand on Aziraphale's shoulder. Aziraphale could lean his head in against Crowley. It would be warm, comfortable. And here he goes again, the writing part of his brain creating a lovely fiction. Crowley is not here for this. This is fabulous, Aziraphale tells Crowley instead. I'm so glad we came. Course, Angel. Crowley leans forward with his other hand to pick up his own wine glass. Used to be my favourite night here. He pauses and then shrugs. I guess it still is. I just don't come out as much. But when I first moved, I was here every week. Aziraphale smiles. Too busy now? Or just over the bar scene? <sighs> Crowley makes one of his noises and gestures with the wine glass. A little bit of both, I guess. Aziraphale isn't quite sure how to ask Crowley what he wants to ask. He doesn't want to end up talking about the book or his work again. He still feels like they spent too much time on it, and Crowley can't be that interested in the rambling words of a daft old man. But he feels like Crowley should be able to help him sort through his thoughts. I'm not sure you've told me, Aziraphale says, feeling it out. How on earth did you end up with your place? Aziraphale feels Crowley freeze on the bench, his body language stuttering somewhat at the question. I, um... Crowley starts, and Aziraphale immediately regrets asking as Crowley makes a long series of vowel noises. Inheritance, he says finally, and makes a shaking motion with his head that clearly indicates he doesn't want to talk about it. There's an apology on the tip of his tongue, but Aziraphale takes a sip of his wine and watches as Crowley downs his entire glass. I didn't mean to pry, he says gently. So right, Angel.
Crowley sets his empty glass down and turns into Aziraphale. He keeps his arm along the back of the bench and suddenly all of Aziraphale's nerves are lit up again, this time with as much anxiety as potential. As Crowley looks at him over the shades, he's kept on even in the dark bar. You didn't know. Some things I just don't talk about. Aziraphale feels surprisingly guilty. Although Crowley's right, he had no idea, he feels like he's maybe taken a step too far forward. Crowley doesn't have to have any interest in sharing his personal life with Aziraphale outside of what he already has. It's absolutely fine, my dear boy. Aziraphale settles back in, facing the table, although he makes sure he's closer to Crowley this time. Crowley's welcome to move away. I dare say we all have our sensitive spots. I'm not... Crowley shoves the sunglasses back up his nose. Sensitive. Aziraphale can't help his chuckle. <laughs> I'm not saying you are. I'm saying sometimes our histories can be. The silence that follows is comfortable, mostly. Crowley's still, but not tense. Aziraphale smiles to himself, although he's still a little rustled. No, there's no way he could have known, but... It's a little bit unsettling. It probably isn't fair to think so, but he's shared a lot of things about his work and his book with Crowley, and it stings a little bit. It's probably because of this little fiction he's been creating in his head. He doesn't really need Crowley to open up. His company is enough. Crowley shifts, and his fingers happen to brush against Aziraphale's shoulder as he withdraws his arm to stand up. My turn to pick, he says to Aziraphale, holding out his hand, and Aziraphale empties his glass and hands it up to Crowley. All yours, Aziraphale says. Crowley's smile is crooked, but it's a smile. I think about things here that I might not think of otherwise. The thing about trying a few new things is that it opens the other corridors of your mind to new things as well. Things you may never have considered suddenly bloom like butt-burst on the vine. Suddenly, so many things seem oddly plausible. You start thinking about everything differently. Places seem reachable. Goals manageable. And people... seem accessible. You look at a friend you've made and you suddenly see...
a connection. You see potential. You look at someone sharp and beautiful, and rather than simply reminding yourself that nothing so lovely would have interest in you, you suddenly see a world where it might and it could. Wines have layers and complexities to them. Your first sip might be all citrus and fruit, and it's only at the bottom of the bottle that you find the hints of basil and leather. Or you may like a wine at first taste, only to discover you won't finish the glass. Not all wines have complexities, but the best ones do. People can be like that too. Do you ever meet someone and immediately want to know what's inside? Peel them like an onion, like a grape, removing the skin to get at the juice underneath. Do you ever want to lay yourself out like an open book? None of this prose is usable. Shit, bugger, fuck. What on earth am I writing? A few days later, Aziraphale is enjoying a pleasant slow breakfast when his mobile buzzes. You free today? No concrete plans, no. What do you have in mind? Come down, sometime today. Wear clothes you don't mind getting dirty. Aziraphale rereads the message, incredibly curious. What on earth is going through Crowley's mind? It's early evening by the time Aziraphale and Warlock make their way over to Ecstasy's. Aziraphale is a tad uncomfortable without the usual armour of his clothing. He's wearing his only pair of denims, paired with a flannel, and the hideous walking shoes Gabriel had insisted on buying for him during one of their outings. He feels like a mockery of himself, dressed down in public. But he's also curious. Warlock takes a seat at the bar across from Adam and Pepper, who are lounging about. Newt's off to the other side of the bar with a few customers, and Anathema emerges from the back rooms when she hears them arrive. Aziraphale! Perfect, she says, and lifts the swing gate to allow him behind the bar. Come on, he's word on for you. Aziraphale blinks for a moment, a little stunned, and then looks at Warlock. Warlock makes a shooing motion and blows a raspberry at him. Well then. He follows Anathema through the back rooms. He only gets a glance of the kitchen. The way they're heading, there are a number of officers, each one holding some personality, but they're moving far too fast for Aziraphale to place them. Anathema pushes open a door and they're suddenly out back, behind the tasting building. 
Aziraphale stops to take it all in, because it's passingly lovely. The sun has just begun to think about setting, the buildings scattered around the back are glowing with gold, and there are rows upon rows of trellis and vine. He's up in the petite Sarah, Anathema says, and gestures for Aziraphale to follow her. Come on, before he changes his mind. He never lets anyone back here. Oh, says Aziraphale. It seems to be his default word these days. That's Crowley's house. Anathema waves a hand at a lovely little two-story tucked a bit away from the tasting room. The front of it is laden with flowering bushes and enough sprouting plants to tell Aziraphale there must be one heaven of a garden there. That back there is processing and that's bottling. Aziraphale makes a noise of acknowledgement, but continues looking at Crowley's house. He wonders what it's like inside. Is it pristine and empty, or is it chaotic and full? What would Crowley's decorating tastes be like? Something brutally stylish, likely. Aziraphale pictures Crowley's closets full of black and grey and texture. He wants to see them, the row of tastefully worn designer denims, the collection of black blazers. There. Anathema stops, gestures to a well-worn path leading up and around a small hill. Follow that path, you'll find him, he's probably yelling again. Yelling? Aziraphale murmurs, bringing a hand to his mouth in amusement. Anathema grins. Sorry, I gotta run. Newt's the only one behind the counter right now. Have fun! Aziraphale watches as she heads back down towards the tasting building. What on earth? He decides that if he's going to wander a vineyard, he's going to enjoy it. He clasps his hand in front of him and starts strolling slowly down the path Anathema had indicated. The vines on either side of him are all coming alive, green leaves unfolding, little tendrils reaching out. Aziraphale remembers Crowley has said it's only ten acres of land, but it feels like miles upon miles stretched out before him, all of it teeming with new life. It smells like spring. It smells like growth. Fresh, something green and sharp, a hint of petrichor from the soil. Aziraphale loves it immediately. He follows the path round a curve and spots Crowley immediately. A bright spot of red in the sea of brown and green. Crowley's a few rows away from the path, doing something to a vine, and Aziraphale pauses to take in the sight. 
Crowley's lovely like this as well, and Raphael should have guessed that. His hair is up in a bun, revealing the stark lines of his jaw and throat. Even in a t-shirt and jeans, Crowley looks like he grew right from the ground, a creature of the soil, somehow wild and unearthly in that moment. Then Crowley drops something and ruins the moment by yelling, Oh, fuck you too! I'll chop you all down! Aziraphale laughs, and it's bright out here in the middle of the vineyard, free and unfettered. Crowley whips around. Aziraphale can't entirely tell with the sunglasses, but he feels like Crowley's eyes are as wide as his open jaw for a long moment. Then he visibly shakes his head and laughs back, his smile wrinkling up his face charmingly. Hey, Angel! Aziraphale shakes his head at the nickname fondly and takes a few steps towards Crowley. This explains the clothing, at least. He can feel Crowley's gaze flicking down and then up. Never seen you in jeans, Crowley says, a little awkwardly. Those shoes are hideous. <laughs> Aren't they? Aziraphale laughs, picking his foot up off the ground to show them off. Gabriel made me buy them on one of our earliest outings. Told me he'd have to make me a walking regimen. Sent me links to health websites for weeks. Crowley's grin turns naughty. You didn't do a lick of it, did you? Aziraphale realizes he's clasped his hands in front of his belly again and drops them. It's one thing to be generally accepting of his form and quite another to draw attention to his softness around someone like Crowley. I never quite seem to have the time, he says loftily, and Crowley cackles. <laughs> well, Angel, here's where the magic happens. Crowley throws his arms wide. His tea is a simple black with a hole in the armpit. His jeans have certainly seen better days, and he's barefoot. It's deliciously plain. And where are we, exactly? Aziraphale takes a step forward, reaches out to experimentally touch a leaf. The vines themselves look and feel like dead branches. The leaves are oddly fragile. Tender. Oh, it's the goddamned petitsera. Crowley makes a face. Pain in my ass. Higher density planting, great soil, yet always ends up being shit. This last bit is hollowed over his shoulder into the vines and has to spend four years in bottle-aging to make up for it. 
Aziraphale walks down the row, brushing his fingers along the dry wood of the vine. What on earth's wrong with it? It exists to piss me off, Crowley tells him. Otherwise, I have no idea. Every year I tell it I'm going to burn it all down and start over, and every year it makes the same mistakes. Maybe tend it with something a bit kinder? Aziraphale suggests with a grin. Crowley scoffs. Don't spoil them. They're hard enough to manage as it is. He points at Aziraphale, adding, And that's what we're going to do tonight. Manage them. Oh! Aziraphale immediately withdraws his hands from the vines. Me? Why not? Crowley shrugs. I can't seem to make them perform satisfactorily. So I'm going to teach you how to sucker, and we're going to do this entire row. I couldn't possibly. Aziraphale starts. It's somehow daunting. Crowley is so particular about his wines. He remembers Anathema telling him Crowley doesn't even normally allow people into the vineyard itself. What on earth is he thinking? You absolutely possibly could, Crowley gestures. Look here. See all these little green shoots? You just pinch a couple off so that they're more evenly distributed and so that there aren't so goddamn many of them. Aziraphale stares while Crowley's long fingers touch a couple of them before boldly pinching off three and dropping them onto the ground. Nothing to it. Oh, heavens, says Aziraphale. I'm terribly sure I'll mess it up. Just don't pinch them all off. Crowley's grinning, casual and beautiful, and Aziraphale momentarily feels like he can't breathe. Here, look, I'll guide you through it. He takes Aziraphale by the elbow and pulls him down to an untended spot. There are three vines growing across the trellis, each with a number of budding leaves and pretty green tendrils. Have a look. See how there's a cluster here? And here? Crowley gestures. Take out um, three from the first one and two from the next. Aziraphale reaches out and, very carefully and gently, pinches off one of the thin shoots. He brings it up to his nose to smell. It smells of life, of green things, of earth. It smells a little of Crowley. Aziraphale suddenly hit with the breath of it. His hands on these vines will shape how they grow this year and the next and years after that, just like the vineyard has grown for years. Then it's just a shoot 
and Crowley's taking it from him and tossing it. Go on then, he says. Aziraphale carefully, cautiously, lovingly puts his hands on Crowley's vines and pinches off the required amount. Goodness, <laughs> he says with a little deprecating laugh. I don't believe you're letting me do this. Oh, it's a win-win for me, Angel. Crowley grins, all easy lips and raised eyebrow. Less work, for one, and it makes you the scapegoat if they misbehave again, see? Oh, this year it isn't my fault at all, it was that blogger. And what if they do well? Aziraphale teases, smiling back. Then you've got magic hands, says Crowley, his grin going sly. And you'll need time off next year to do it again. Now that's a pleasant thought. A standing invitation to come back, to come out here, to get his hands on Crowley's vineyard again. Oh dear, what is he thinking? He hasn't even really done anything yet. Magic hands, he says, looking down at them. Broad palms, thick fingers, carefully kept nails. They look nothing like Crowley's. We'll see, says Crowley, glancing over the tops of his sunglasses to wink his mismatched eyes at Aziraphale. Come on, we're gonna do this entire row before dinner. Crowley has to show him a couple more times before Azira felt really confident in what he's doing, but eventually he becomes more sure of himself. There's something intimate about the work and the silence. They have their backs turned to each other, working their way down the row. He'll occasionally turn around to make sure he's keeping pace with Crowley. Crowley will occasionally come peer over Aziraphale's shoulder, checking and watching as Aziraphale works. It's peaceful. It's comfortable. It feels... lovely. Just coexisting here with Crowley and the vines and the earth beneath their feet. Aziraphale. Crowley's voice brings him back to his senses. What the devil are you doing? Aziraphale finds he's tasting one of the slender green shoots. It's sharp, brilliant, spicy like microgreens one puts on a salad. I wanted to know, he says, somewhat embarrassed, because how can he explain that he wants to have this taste in his memory? The very beginning of the cycle, the taste at the joint of new growth and old support where grapes will grow. But Crowley's giving him this incredible look. 
sunglasses pushed up into his hair that Aziraphale's never seen before. It's a look like Crowley gets it. It's a look of wonder, as if Aziraphale has somehow impressed him or surprised him. It's a look that makes Aziraphale realize just how close Crowley is. It makes him want to step forward and taste Crowley's lips with the sharp taste of spring still in his mouth. Aziraphale stops. Crowley's eyes flick down to his mouth and then back up. His dark eye is deep and the golden one sparkling and Aziraphale feels struck by something that's far more than a physical attraction. Although the desire to kiss Crowley is quite overwhelming at the moment. It all starts at the mouth, he says. It comes out soft between them, like he's quoting something impressively profound rather than his own awful drivel. Crowley blinks, and his eyes more obviously trace Aziraphale's mouth. Aziraphale sees Crowley's tongue flick out for a second, wetting his own lips. I guess it does, Crowley replies, equally soft, and then he leans in. Aziraphale's breath catches in his throat as he stretches, in and up, and then Crowley's mouth is on his. It's soft at first, more gentle than Aziraphale would have thought Crowley kissed, something tentative and precious. Aziraphale shifts a bit, turning so that his nose nuzzles into Crowley's cheek, moving his mouth. And then Crowley kisses back, intensified, as if a circuit is finally connected. Aziraphale feels it from the soles of his feet, up from Crowley's soil, all of his nerves lighting up, almost painfully awake, as Crowley's hand comes up to his cheek, shaking. Crowley's fingers are shaking, and they're still kissing. Heavens, Aziraphale's lit up like a candle. He's hopelessly aroused. Crowley is easily the best thing he's ever tasted. Aziraphale feels shaken, stirred, licking into Crowley's mouth with what is either excitement or desperation. Crowley tastes like the sun and the fog and every wine he's ever had. Aziraphale's head is spinning. When Crowley finally pulls away, Aziraphale feels like he's drunk. Um, Crowley says. He's rubbing at the back of his neck, flushed delightfully pink, looking away. Sorry, 
we should, uh, you know, head in. Of course, Aziraphale's mouth says, his brain still attempting to process everything. His lips are still tingling. Crowley gives him one last look. A light, afraid, anxious, and Aziraphale almost steps forward to kiss him again, but he doesn't. Crowley shoves his sunglasses back on and takes off down the path towards the tasting room. Aziraphale watches, then finally rouses himself to follow.